Hey, I got one today. All right. You know the song, It's Raining Men, mm-hmm. and Let the Bodies Hit the Floor? Mm-hmm. They're just written by two different perspectives. That's very true. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome to Murder and Mystery in the South, Episode 3. I'm Justin Case. I am Ella Blue, and today we have producer Slick Rick with us. Hi. <laughs> He, he, he's a real talker. English is my favorite. <clears throat> okay, so today we're going to be talking about the Nashville tanning bed murders. Ah, uh, okay. Sounds like something straight out of Final Destination. <laughs> Could be, you never know. This starts February 1996. Gail Chilton, she woke up from a vivid dream, a a total nightmare. Her 18-year-old daughter, Melissa, had been murdered. It was so real and bothered her so much, she called her husband, Gary. He told her to drive to Murfreesboro to check on her. Melissa, the firstborn, was in her second semester at MTSU. She had just graduated last year from Gordonsville High School near Carthage, Tennessee, where she was a cheerleader. She was majoring in psychology. After finishing with her real estate class, she would do just that. She she would surprise Melissa showing up at her dorm. But so mom's heading to Murfreesboro. Yeah. Got it. And the two went out to dinner. Melissa asked her mom why she had come down, and Gail told her about her dream. Melissa tried to comfort her, telling her everything's fine, she's all right. Gail told her that no, she isn't. Something is wrong, and she had a bad feeling. One week later, on February 22nd, Gail was having a late lunch with a friend at Chili's on the West End when her pager went off. When she called home, her son answered the phone and then handed it off to her neighbor, who also happened to be the sheriff of Smith County. He told her something had happened to Melissa and that she needed to call the Metro PD chaplain. See, Mama tried and she didn't listen. Yeah, Mama's Mama's no. We've got that juju patrol going on we know when stuff happens juju patrol juju patrol what the hell know. is juju patrol i was gonna say six cents but yeah I like from now dad. on it's juju patrol <laughs> juju patrol all right so when she called um she was told to meet him and her husband at memorial hospital where gary worked as an rn gary is the husband when she arrived she found the chaplain standing next to a grief-stricken gary when the chaplain told her that her daughter Melissa and a co-worker had been stabbed and killed, she told him they had the wrong girl. Melissa wasn't in Nashville. She was in Murfreesboro at school. The chaplain explained that she had been identified by the owner of the business. Confused, Melissa lied. People yeah. died. Confused, she asked what business she was talking about. It was an exotic tanning salon for men at 1805 Church Street. What the hell is an exotic tanning salon? <laughs> why is a teenager there? Well, she wasn't. I mean, she's a teenager, yes, but she was of age because oh. she was in college. So, wait, wait, wait. I still want to know what an exotic tanning yeah, salon we, is. We are going to get into this. All right. So, I'm about to look up the definition of exotic Gail's, tanner. Gail's friend had just driven them by there. She she just knew they had the wrong parents and told him that they needed to find that little girl's parents so they could get to her. Gail's friend had taken Church Street to get to the interstate faster when they passed the building. There were police cars everywhere, yellow tape everywhere. 
Her friends asked if she thought it had anything to do with Melissa. Gail just said to just keep driving. It felt like a double blow to Gary and Gail. They found out their little girl worked at a tanning salon owned by a seedy business called Private Moments and then finding out she had been murdered. Exotic, E-X-X-X-O-T-I-C, was a front for one of the many adult entertainment businesses in Nashville at the time. So she was a hand operator? Duties often include dancing for the customers. <laughs> Duty. Skiing. Skiing? What do you do when you ski? Who said anything about skiing? What do you What do you do when you ski? She's working in poles. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but I'm bumped. Metro sp- <laughs> Y'all are awful. <laughs> Metro spokesman um, Don Aaron said the last check-in at the salon was 11 a.m., no one answered the phone starting at 12 p.m., and the owner was called by clients upset and wanting to know what was going on. Oh, they were mad they couldn't get their handies on. Huh? Their exotic tan going on. <laughs> Good Lord. He arrived at the salon just after 2 p.m., where he found Melissa and another girl, Tiffany Campbell, laying in pools of blood in the laundry room. The girls had been stabbed a total of 100 times. No murder weapon was found, and the killer had unplugged the surveillance camera taking the VCR, a safe, and both girls' identifications with him. First responders contaminated the crime scene by walking through the blood to render aid to the girls. In the beginning, police had a long list of suspects due to the nature of the business. Oh, I bet. Yeah. There were rumors of problems with customers. Sleazy one, sleazy two, sleazy <laughs> yeah. three. Don't girls normally, like, charge a hell of a lot more for you to actually get a stab at them? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Well, just make that. <laughs> okay. The theory was since there were. I loved the loading symbol that showed up on your forehead there. <laughs> yeah, that was an audible When he said you that. that one. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the blonde is showing. Okay. The theory was since they were not found in the entertainment area and because you had to be buzzed through a locked door to get to the laundry room, at least one of the girls knew the killer. That it was a crime of passion due to the violence of the stabbing. There's some overkill there. Yeah, a hundred times. I don't know. That's a lot. Gail couldn't believe she didn't know about her daughter's employment. Friends of Melissa's that knew her... <laughs> Because that's what, what was, you tell your mom. Yeah, I mean, yeah, mom. Oh, happy done. Thanksgiving, by the way. I uh, give happy endings at a CD. Or I dance for men. Exotic yeah. tanning salon. I go skiing five days a week. So, friends of Melissa's. Right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> friends of Melissa's that knew what she was doing told Gail she hated it and had decided to quit. Melissa's roommate told her mom that she had wanted to help tell her the night that she came to Murfreesboro, but decided not to since she was quitting. Tiffany was also quitting. She and the owner had fought the night before, and she was done. She was going to get her GED and make a better life for herself. Dozens of suspects were questioned, including serial killer Paul Dennis Reed. But the case, the case, but the case went cold. That is until 2013 when Code Case Sergeant Pat Postiglione. Is it Postiglione or Postiglione? Postiglione. Yeah. Code Case Sergeant Pat Postiglione 
and detective. Okay, Sergeant. Pat Postiglione. There you go. Yeah, what she said. And Detective Danny Satterfield were on the case. After a number of interviews and scientific evidence were gathered, an indictment was issued to Patrick Streeter for two counts of first-degree murder. Patrick, who was in California prison serving for charges of home invasion, had been interviewed on several occasions while incarcerated. It would be 2015 before Strader would be extradited to Tennessee to face the trial. California made him finish his 14-year sentence first. I guess they did something right, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> hey, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> After the hearing, Deborah Edmonds, the mother of Tiffany Campbell, told Gail she couldn't take much more. And this turned out to be true. She passed away in 2016. Hmm. But Gail promised her that she would continue to advocate for their daughters. During a pre-trial hearing in March of 2017, an an incarcerated man by the name of Quentin Hughes testified that his cousin, David Ewing, confessed to to killing Tiffany, but not Melissa. And then Kirk to the end. Today, Junior. <laughs> Sometimes my brain buffers. I promise we'll edit this part out. <laughs> I don't promise shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's slick Rick for you right there. Yeah. After witnessing Ewan killing another person in 1998, Hughes asked him how he could do that with no remorse. That's when Ewing told him he indeed murdered Tiffany, who was an ex-girlfriend, but made no mention of Melissa. Ewing was convicted. Con, Ewing was convicted of the other murder, but died in a car wreck in 2014. So Streeter continued to sit in jail until 2018. This is when the case became more difficult for the district attorney's office. Wait, who died in a car wreck? This was the um, Ewing guy. The informant. Yeah, um, you know this is. The guy named Quentin Hughes testified that his cousin, David Ewing, confessed to killing Tiffany. Oh, okay. Ewing was okay. the one that died in the car wreck. Got it, got it. So, Strader, Strader, S-T-R-E-A-T-E-R, Strader, continued to sit in jail until 2018. And this is when the case became more difficult for the district attorney's office. Because it was so easy up until now? Yeah, sounds okay. like it. great. Five years after his official arrest for the murder, the state announced they would be dropping the case against Patrick Strader. The district attorney's office stated after more scientific testing and DNA analysis, it would not be appropriate to take this matter to trial. After the DA's announcement, Metro PD spokesperson said they had full and absolute confidence in the investigation that has taken place over all these years. So, So wait because of the DNA evidence mm-hmm. and what I'm sure was a Petri dish behind a locked door. Well, and I mean, they yeah. also already said, too, that um, the paramedics contaminated the crime scene. Right. That's not the Petri dish I know, part but I'm, I'm saying about. you've got that and, you know, you've, you've had other people coming in and walking through the crime scene. So well, they, they were coming in there. Shut all up. Right. Hopefully not during the crime scene. Well, I don't know. <laughs> hold, hold on, lost, Ella's loading. I lost my, I lost my place here. Okay. She's a, <coughs> she's a visual thinker. The announcement does not end the investigation, which remains open and active. Strader, Strader, 
His mother, Patricia Strader McFadden, maintained his innocence all those years. She said when her son was first indicted, he broke down and cried. She said to just imagine being accused of something you know you didn't do. Kyle. No, this isn't the same guy. What? This is. <laughs> Something's happening here. This is the guy that Woody. they had gone to California and interviewed a lot. This, yeah. What, I, I threw that in there because no, that was another guy that confessed to his cousin. His cousin just was telling you that there were other people that were interviewed besides the straighter guy. So the cousin. Of the guy that died in the car wreck, said the dude that died in the car wreck said he killed her. Killed one of them, killed Tiffany, but not Melissa. So, I mean, that doesn't make sense unless somebody else was there. So the straighter guy from has, California... Has just been interviewed. We haven't heard anything that he has said. All right, here we go. Yep. Roll on. So, um, she said, just imagine being accused of something you know you didn't do. And Kyle, mother's head... Strader's attorney said it never was a strong case and only because became weaker over time. He did give kudos to the DA's office for actually taking time to have the best testing available done before taking the case to trial. When questioned on, when questioned on her feelings of the announcement, Gail said hope was not lost. She knows it will be solved one day. She still has faith. Two days short of the 17th anniversary of the murders, Gail stood in front of 1805 Church Street and faced the entrance to the back alley. The tanning salon is long gone, but the memories are still there. She talks to Melissa. She told her daughter she will never give up. One day she will face her daughter's murderer and justice will be served. Even though the case remains open, even though the killer has not been brought to justice, Gail tried to bring some good from this tragedy. About a year after the murders, she contacted Chris Farrell, a Metro Council member. She wanted to find a way to protect other girls in the industry. She wanted them to be safe, and a citywide crackdown on the unregulated, unlicensed, and unnoticed massage parlors and salons, like where her daughter was viciously murdered, began. Nashville's sexually oriented business ordinance was beginning. Oh, they cracked down on that stuff hard. Uh I remember when that happened. And after years of leg- legalities, it took effect in 2006. It limits contacts with dancers to three foot. Can You cannot be closer than three foot to a dancer. Uh, when you first said that, I thought you could only touch a girl if she was below three feet. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... It's not a midget club. <laughs> I would not put it past Sorry. Nashville. Sorry, little person club. Yeah. Dancers have to register with the city now and also have to go through a criminal background check and be fingerprinted. So you want to shake your booty, you got to, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff you have to go through to do that in Nashville. Whatever they got to do to make sure they're safe. Yeah. So one of Nashville's most notorious and elusive murders remains unsolved. The DA's office has said there are numerous witnesses that could come forward if they only would. My question is, what was the evidence they were testing? You know, I'm wondering if maybe, like, if it was such a vicious stabbing, if their hand went past the heel of the knife cut and cut themselves. Or maybe yeah. just so into it, spitting, not realizing it. Oh, possible. Yeah. So they possibly have DNA of this killer, but no match. Right. 
Possibly. We don't know for sure. Right. It's probably too like diluted because all the other blood that was on the crime scene, mm-hmm. if his hand did slip past the other Well, Nashville Crime Stoppers, Metro's Crime Stoppers, has said that if anyone has information on the murders, Metro Crime Stoppers asks that you call. You can make an anonymous call. It's 615-74-CRIME. 615-742-7463. And as of 2017, the reward for information leading to an arrest is $70,000. If you know anything, call and tell them. Okay, give my thoughts. Grr, I'm mad. One girl gets lots of attention, lots of media attention, mm-hmm. and the other girl barely gets mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's garbage. Well, I will say this. If you take anything away from this episode, ladies, regardless of what your profession is, and I, and I don't care what it is, everybody's got to make money. Hey, if you got the assets, use them. you know, yeah, use it. That doesn't bother me one bit. Hell, I applaud it. Protect yourselves. All right, carry something. Don't walk to the car alone. Don't be in a situation where something like this can happen to you. It's scary. You can't even really go anywhere after dark at night, or after dark anymore. No, and you think this happened, what, 96? 1996. And everything's just crazier now. Protect yourselves. Keep your head on a swivel. Thank you guys for hanging out with us and listening to this story today. Um, Don't forget, we upload on Mondays and Thursdays. And see you next time. Y'all come back now, you hear?